Hello and warm welcome, dear audience, to New Generation Women, and I'm Janine Fanzenos. For my series, Conscious Feminine Female Leaders, I'd like to introduce my guest today with a reference that I have found on her LinkedIn profile yesterday evening. And it says, Karen and the team at the Flourish Initiative supported us through a transformational development program at Virgin Atlantic and Virgin Holidays that really touched both hearts and minds. Their passion, commitment, and desire to make the world a better place really shows in the work they do. And despite 49 programs and 1,600 participants, their energy and spirit to make a difference never faltered. She is an expert in conscious leadership and cultural change, and she's the CEO of the Flourish Initiative. Warm welcome to London this time. Warm welcome, Karen Lee Dance. Hello. lovely to be with you thank you what a wonderful reference I mean I was just you are really a role model for resilience 1,600 participants <laughs> I did I did um, how, how long was it ago not so long ago I did 380 people by myself also from a very large uh, well-known company I was dead afterwards dead I said I never wanted to do this again um, and I was wondering if you speak very honestly I mean your participants are obviously flourished what was about your flourishing I think the um, the the upside and the downside which is because that is flourishing we don't have flourishing one of the most important parts of my message and was incorporated into the program is flourishing most people relate to as growth and development, thriving, blossoming, all of the things that we see in nature. But we forget that flourishing requires seasons of the soul and the seasons to renew. We're entering in the Northern Hemisphere into winter. And this is the time when we need to reflect, contemplate. Some of us need to hibernate. And I think that was the important message inside the um, program is that we the upside for me was that we rotated our team. We made sure that every group, when we did our own rituals to prepare for the workshop, were very present to a new group coming in, a diverse group coming in with their own um, challenges and turmoils that they face in the business. Mm. So it was really up to us to bring a level of energy and commitment, mm. sometimes greater than their own, to their flourishing. Because, as I said, people um, hear the word flourishing mm. and think of one context and often relate to flourishing as something that, as we know in feminine leadership, that's something that's soft and fluffy mm. versus resilient and capacity building and strong and having fortitude. Yes. So it really took our fortitude to deliver those programs and come up against the resistance that many of us see in business when we talk about the feminine principle, feminine or conscious leadership. So we had, to, we had, the other thing I would add is that we set an environment. We had aromatherapy vaporizers. We brought in bouquets of flowers to the training room. We actually had the privilege of designing our, our training room. So we did many things that influenced yes. um, our, our own resilience and our, um, vitality during the program. I can so much relate to this. I always would decorate the room, always. 
I would always make sure that I choose a room if I can. Um, I went through a lot of arguments, a lot of discussions, a lot of boundary setting, a lot of boundary setting. I mean, Karen, you must know that before when I started the program and um, I would never do those things by myself anymore. I do think that you do need a circle. And I love what you say about traditions. I'm, I would do my meditation and my way of praying before. And yet I, I remember when we started and I went into this plain gray, absolutely no window room. And I thought, you must be kidding. I spent here the whole day with the team and they have no oxygen. There is no air. There is no green. I'm not going to do this. And I almost lost it. I almost, you know, they would have almost passed it through. But I, I was very persistent in this. And I think this is something that in building the work, um, and I don't know how it's about you, I start and we have a lot of back and forth. I never take it like they tell me. I always start negotiating what needs to be set and how the frame is and how the time space is. And then they come with their, I don't know how it's in, in London or how it was with Virgin, they have their time sets of coffee breaks and lunch breaks. And I would always say, I cannot tell you, I don't want to have those time frames. We have the times when they're ready and it will, in the group dynamic, that will evolve from there. How was yeah. it with you? How many people were you in the team? We were four people in the team that rotated, but we would always have two facilitators in the room. And rarely, but often, but sometimes we would have to, up to 40 participants in the room. It was mostly between 25 wow. and 40. And they were across all sections of the business. So we would have flight service managers in with engineers. We would have finance directors in with uh, catering or on... Um, call centre operators, um, but all of the people that went through the program were leaders of teams. Mm -hmm. So they were reflecting on their own well-being and their own um, impact of their leadership on others. And one of the things, coming back to what you were saying, Janine, about setting our boundaries and setting the tone mm -hmm. is we had the opportunity when we had the initial meetings, and I think this is really important in our feminine leadership, is... Um, it had to have a context. When I said I wanted aromatherapy, I could link it to the fact that that had aromatherapy on the planes. Mm -hmm. So I made sure yes. that I'd done a lot of research about the values of the organisation. Yes. Um, they, uh, on their slogan, they say, we want to be the most loved travel company in the world. Yes. And we, I would ask the leaders, how can you be the most loved travel company if your people don't feel loved? Yes. So I was always putting in context yes. Yes. what... I would assert as necessary, I was putting in context yes. for what served the business. And I think that's something that we all have opinions and um, judgments about how business should be operating. Mm. But I think my own experience out of those 1,600 going through the program is you have to set the context for why we're having this conversation. Mm. So when oh, people good. would come in, I would ask them who's ever experienced a winter of the soul some people would look at me curiously or look at us curiously going, what are they talking about? Mm -hmm. And then we would, then I would add, who's ever had the loss, experienced the loss of a loved one and wanted to stay underneath the duvet? Who's ever had a change or transition in their parenting, in their role, in their work, and you just didn't want to get out of bed? That's what I call the winter. So nice. we talk about mental health, but I think we have to address, and that's what was one of the big parts of the context, is we have to look at what we're feeling and what we are, how we're uh, self-caring in order to look at mental health. 
and one of the other parts that we did in environments, we set up, they had a prayer room in the building. And when I went into the prayer oh. room, there was nothing on the floor but stained carpet and there were just about holes in the wall. And I said, we have to change this. So can we turn it into a contemplative and prayer room so people can come in here for quiet, sacred space when they need to recover, when they need to meditate. And it was beautiful. They turned it, they put beautiful rugs in there, they put candles, they put a painting. So it was an invitation for people to use the room. Nice. I really like how you say this. Also, the presence you bring in. And um, there's a reason that I called it conscious feminine female leaders and not just female leaders. But I will come back to this um, in a little while. I would like to start with what I have seen also on your um, LinkedIn profile, an article you wrote, The Right Thing to Do. It's very honest and you start with your childhood. And I always start asking people, what make you the person you are today? Mm. What made you the person you are today, the woman you are today and the strong woman you are today? Mm. I think it's um, when I go back, as I said in the article, my father was a huge influence in mine and my sister's lives. I was the youngest in the family. Mm. And I think I had the opportunity of being the youngest where I was more protected. Mm -hmm. So I could look at what was happening in the family from a very naive and innocent place. Mm -hmm. until I started to receive some of my father's um, verbal and physical abuse. My father was a big advocate of, um, as I said in the article, stop crying or I'll give you something to yes. cry about. And so the repression of my own emotions and what I would call when I look back my sweetness, my sweetness as a child where it was not safe to express that, where I was not safe if I was being that naive or vulnerable or sweet. So I very soon found ways to uh, bring up very strong masculine feisty energy in myself mm. to survive. It served me well, mm -hmm. but it also had a huge cost. Mm -hmm. So I think the, um, in my childhood, and as I said in the article, I, you know, I've done a lot of work on forgiving my father and my father was extraordinary. So it wasn't an either or, it was an and. So he was very tough and I have chosen to see it through a particular lens that that's given me a huge advantage of being very resilient and very strong, being able to work in the very, very tough masculine work, um, environments I have mm. in mining and the extractive industries in the later part of my career. Um, where I could stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with the men and bring up that energy and that presence of myself mm. from the work I'd, inner work I'd done on myself, but also bring a presence of the meditative mindfulness and the qualities that I want mm. to bring to the feminine. So I think if I look back, the red thread in my life of ending the subjugation and marginalization of women in India and Bangladesh and all of the initiatives I've ever taken on have been really to do therapy through my work. So mm -hmm. I have done therapy by bringing into the world what I saw was needed. So it's healed yes. me and it's healed others. Yes, that's what we do when we heal. You know, it yeah. always runs through our, us first or we live it first, we embody it first and then we bring it further to people. And um, some people, they, you know, they market it big and make a big commercial out of it. And 
I think that the closer it gets to truth, you become very quiet and it's driving you, it's calling you, but there's nothing that you go out there and you, you shout about it or you make it a big commercial campaign. It's something that is soft and yet it's very strong and gentle, but it's pulling and pushing you forward and it's driving you and um, other women, including myself, to do things that you normally wouldn't might maybe like to do. Sometimes it's just better to do something easy and fun um, as going into, as you called it, the beast and going right where there is a lot of resistance and then bring the heart back into business. What, that's one of your leading sentences when I saw your trailers, which are beautifully done and very gracefully also done. Um, I, I was just coming back from what you said and the, the strength that you have built on the one hand to be so resilient as you are and then on the other hand left some of the soft spots on the ladder going forward. We all have that in our generation. And um, I had it as a child that I was doing competitive ice dancing. My childhood was very cold or my teenage time was very cold. So I was, and I wasn't very, I didn't have anything. I wasn't very smart at school or, or, or successful or wanted or, you know, friends or beautiful. Um, there was a lot of mobbing and stuff happening, but that time we didn't make it so big. So I didn't know what, what that was. It just was just not nice. So I needed to escape with something. And luckily my ice dancer came into my life, my ice dance teacher, and I did competitive ice dancing. And that literally saved me. And this doing the sport so intensely, but of course I learned in a very early age when you have success and when you work hard, that's when you appreciate it. So that's, that's then my um, drive and that has brought me far, but that of course has also always brought me into a misbalance of ease, gentleness, joy, being jealous of other women who would just have more ease. I once um, remember that I was on Tenerife visiting my girlfriend and she, she's a dancer and she's a beautiful dancer. And I spent the day there and I could see how they would live their lives together, she, her sweetheart and she. And I know that I remember I left my partner a message saying, they are just sitting there again. They are doing nothing. They, she doesn't do anything. <laughs> there was a part of me that was so jealous because I so wanted to have balance. I so would love to have more, been more gentle and um, I just didn't know how in the, the frame and environment where I was and doing, paying my bills, it just was always stressed, always a lot, always hectic. And um, I needed to set a lot of, I, my most work was setting boundaries, being brave, standing up for the woman I am, standing up for my intuition, being brave toward that and be soft as much as possible. All the intellectual knowledge was just minor to, to the others. Now, because I think I was so afraid of being one of those masculine female leaders, which we'll talk about now, um, I was very good at what I did on the other side. And strangely enough, I never was hunting for success. I was just thinking sometimes, how can I survive that? How can I be as joyful and as gentle as possible? And when I had, you know, physical limitations, body aches or whatever, that could be sometimes really bad off in those environments. I could really like be inflamed and I would feel physically really bad. So for me, it was always, how do I make the most out of it without thinking about what I all want? Mm -hmm. And um, in this not wanting anything and taking care of balance, um, mm -hmm. I got a lot of success, what you call success. But that was not the way what I was thinking of. And um, when you 
now we change. The situation is changing. It's evolving pretty fast, even if we feel it's slow. But still five years ago, there was still, were still a lot of masculine female leaders. They are still there. But there is an opening. There is a transition happening. Men are talking. Male leaders talking about um, masculine, female. They understand when I talk about feminine female leaders. Sometimes they understand it quicker than the women themselves. Mm. With women, they feel maybe more hurt or in denial, but men understand right away when I say what my passion is to support the feminine side in female leadership, because we all have wounds in our generation. Mm. Um, now, this is my story. How do you perceive it or how you, did you perceive yourself? Because now when I hear you and see your trailer and your, your films, film clips, video clips, there is such a grace and softness and gentleness in you. Also when you talk, it's just beautiful listening to you. There is no trade. I, I can see the strength and the authority in you, but you carry it with another personality. And I love that. This is why mm. we're talking today. Because <laughs> I think this is a great role model to many women. Thank but how did you get from A to B or from A to Z where you are now? There, there must have been a long journey. I think, um, thanks, Janine, and that's beautiful. Of your own, I really love your own story, the story you've just shared. And it's so important, as you've said to me, and we've discussed our stories are so important. Mm -hmm. um, I would say when I um, had left school, I didn't finish high school. Similar to you, I didn't, I didn't carry through an academic theme or uh, follow that. But when I left high school <clears throat> and I was really con <clears throat> excuse me, considering what I was going to do, I decided that I wanted to be a healer. And I'm sure I decided I wanted to be a healer because I needed healing. Mm -hmm. And so I trained in a multitude of alternative healthcare uh, practices and got my diplomas in those. I was an aerobic instructor, I was a naturopath, I, everything was about physical and I was also studying anthroposophy, Redostinus work. So I had this combination and this yearning to fulfill my own desire to what makes me up, what makes human beings up. How do we be our best when under the circumstances that we find ourselves in? That was profound. I don't think I said it like that, but it was a profound yearning in me. Mm -hmm. And I started a company uh, after training in aromatherapy. And that I think was a pivotal moment in my life when I saw the vibration, the spirit, and the medical efficacy of mm -hmm. plants mm -hmm. and what they gave me in my life. And <clears throat> so instead of doing that on other people's bodies, mm -hmm. I trained literally thousands of women to do this on their own bodies. Okay. And our mission was to return natural remedies to the healers of the home, which are traditionally women. Mm -hmm. So I think for 13 years, I had this amazing opportunity. Little did I know what I was creating. This amazing opportunity to speak to really thousands in five countries. We ended up exporting product to five countries. My daughter still remembers sitting at the back of workshops and and taking the money for products and feeling like she was the little cashier and <laughs> probably it would have been called now slave labor. But back then it was just a family awesome. business figuring out yes. how to build a business. Yes. Literally at the kitchen sink, bottling essential oils and that we built into a $9 million enterprise. Yes. So it was an amazing journey. And I worked with people like Deepak Chopra. So I think I would say, Janine, what happened in me is I didn't have any business acumen. I only knew to lead. Mm -hmm. 
from what I felt. And the feeling I had was, if not me, who? If I'm feeling this, the grief of a broken relationship, the the difficulty in raising as a single parent my beautiful daughter, what who do I have to be? And millions of other women must be feeling what I'm feeling. So yes. surely they will buy this product. Surely they will see what I see and heal their hearts through the oil. So it came out of a deep, deep need to heal and seeing it in every face of every woman I saw. And at some point, we're all traumatised, we're all broken, we've all suffered. And how do we restore ourselves to bring ourselves back to the table? And so I, I built that company and then... One other poignant moment was when my second husband left me for a 23-year-old and I was devastated. And I think it was the really honestly, I think it was the first time in my life I'd actually ever committed, uh, contemplated committing suicide. I lost everything. I lost my house, my husband, my business, because we were in business together. And I literally didn't know what I was going to do. And I started walking the beach And I got up one morning and I went, where are the sacred spaces that we have to heal? And then I created a product range and wrote a book called Sacred Spaces. So my drive is, I think I've always had this sense of, if I'm feeling this, millions of others must be. What can I do about it? What can I do to heal it? What can I do to remedy it? And I took up cycling and I rode my grief out as a competitive cyclist. So I used to ride in a Peloton and I would cry through my training five, six hours on the bike. But little did I know now because I train and I facilitate programs in somatic intelligence and trauma, little did I know intuitively I was moving the trauma through my system by riding and exercising and just being outdoors to anything to move what I didn't want locked up in my system. So it's been that I think that's my resilience is move being able to move through that that can very quickly get suppressed, repressed, or locked up into our nervous system, and then constrain and inhibit us from who we can truly be. There are so many points. I mean, I always make some notes while somebody is talking, and uh, there are so many points now that I say, "Gosh, that, that's!" And we could make a whole whole new talk show around divorce and how you deal with it and how you get up because so many women, I mean, in our age, 40 plus, there are so many women going through separation and what you experience, that's true. And also I was left for another woman um, by my ex-husband, but I, I, you know, that didn't come out of a blue. I think I pushed him there. So I never saw myself as a victim, but we worked together. We had prepared to go to California together. So as you said, I felt like I felt uh, I was driving with a Porsche 270 against the wall. That's how it felt. It was, he was my best friend. He was my husband um being left for another woman is it like a double ache it's like really he has chosen somebody above you that was really Mm. aching so that does a lot with your self-worth and um also we had built a dream for six years i mean we totally had built a dream together and it was not easy for california we always was you know we just would invest everything without a green card to be able to do this so how to deal with that there is a whole different story and maybe i'd love to come back to you because i think there's so much 
I would have loved to learn if I would have known. And I did it intuitively, as you said, to get myself up. But, but I was from one day to another, I had nothing. I had complete nothing. Mm -hmm. And um, my health was just done. I didn't sleep and nothing worked. But there was one thing, and my parents said this, when seconds I was a grown-up, when seconds I was a woman, all the codependency that I didn't know about because I, was, I felt I was strong was just a gum. I was just standing my ground and getting it. And that is so amazing. So yes, I don't know how it is for you. Yes, it's, it's, it's a crisis. It's hard but I never would have been the woman I'm today without that divorce. Never. Totally. Absolutely. And uh, we work still, we are working again today together and we have a special bond and it's a very good process. Of course, sometimes when you're human, some stuff comes up, but it's very good. And boy, did I grow. And within six months, I didn't do, I, I want to go back to the number, 9 billion. Um, I didn't make that much money, but I know that... When million, I, million, not million. Million, million. <laughs> yeah, but that, you know, that's to me a number that I cannot even, you know, billion or million, it's the same high number. <laughs> I, I never got there, so that's why I forget about it. Um, but I admire that so much. And, um, well, what I, what I like so much is about the crisis. I think that our generation, our female generation, we go still through the journey, the rocket journey, we're the first women generation who really work. You are a mother and um, you brought your, your kid, your daughter in. We will talk about her in the last bit of the interview. And then you are very much a successful businesswoman and a mother, and you did it on your own. Um, and a lot of women do experience that hardship or they are feeling their hold back, but they feel a call when their kids are older. They do feel Am I having, I'm having my, attached myself too much to my husband, to my family? There is a feeling. Do mm. I need to feel and move forward now? Um, and luckily, I do think that women are the natural change makers, not because it's a, chain, it's a choice of, oh, how can I make a niche? How can I market? You know, it's not that rational thinking. There's no logic in that. It's a natural drive that comes from within. And there is an expression that comes, I think, from the Latin world. It's called the entelechy. Mm -hmm. And the entelechy is um, Dr. Jean Houston. It's not my uh, expression. She used it for explaining the process of emerging. And I like it so much because if a baby is born, the baby is born. And you don't look all the time into your belly, how big and how much and how are the numbers and also calculation. Mm -hmm. The baby just is born. The baby just comes and it becomes this beautiful daughter that you, for instance, have now. Mm -hmm. And this is how I think that women are emerging. It is just happening. It's, it's just we cannot stop it. We can, but we can flow with it. Yes. And um, so when you said you are building a $9 million business and talking about the balance, which is very dear to your heart of the feminine and the masculine, Mm. So the feminine qualities such as trusting, surrendering, receiving, allowing, mm. patience, not very sexy in business. Not the requirements on a CV. <laughs> no, not, no, no, not. And when I sometimes go, I, I like to make fun about it. When I sometimes go to board of directors and say, now we're going to meditate so that you start to get empty. We want to have emptiness. And of course, it's the least what I want to have is being empty. You don't want to be empty. You want to be passionate, successful, but you don't want to be empty. Exactly. Then, uh, then, of course, I say the empty bowl is needed so that it can be filled with different intelligence. And that's a much, much stronger intelligence yes. than your mind is. Absolutely. 
in the process of raising your child, coming back to the number of $9 million, $9 million um, being a woman still in this age where this was more rocky, not as supportive as it is now is. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you find balance? How did you step out of the workload, not being a workaholic, not being in the red wise all the time? Mm. I think the, um, because I was fortunate enough to have a company that required an embodiment of what we sold. Yes. Yes. Now I teach that now, how do you embody what you're selling? How do you live the values you espouse? When I look back, the thing that I would do is every night I would come home to Rebecca because she was obviously, she was being minded during the day and I would put boundaries. You spoke about boundaries earlier. I would put boundaries in our day. And from the time that we got home for, in order for us to get connected and for me to come down from the busyness and the the responsibility is we would have a ritual where we would do candle lighting in the house. Yes. So she was only um, four when I started, or even smaller, but from a very early age, she knew how to handle a match and I would go around with her and we would light the candles and we would do a little prayer for the angels to come into the house and we would go around lighting the candles. It also helped that Rebecca went to the Steiner School. So I had set myself up and I think that's what we, a lot of women forget about these days, you have to set yourself up with your children, with your childcare, everything's got to be consistent with your values. Everything's got to hold you in what's important. Because so many times I see women say, oh, I'm not happy with the new nanny, or I'm not happy with, you know, I had to stay back and I don't tell them I'm leaving for childcare because it wouldn't be appropriate. We have to change the system, so we have to talk about it. Mm. So I would do this ritual of candle lighting. Then Rebecca would sit on the bench. I would prepare the food and we'd chat about our day. And then there was bath time. And so often, when she was very small, I would get into the bath with her and we'd have we'd tell stories and two little naked bodies on each other. And so we had these beautiful rituals. And then story time before she would go to sleep. And there was always this moment where she would finish the story and she'd say, five more minutes, mom, five more minutes, just lay down five more minutes, knowing every time that I would fall asleep. So I would every inevitably every night fall asleep with her in her bed because she'd set me up for five more minutes. And, and if, when I would wake up, I usually then had another hour or two hours of work ahead of me. So by 8.30, I'd do another two hours of work and then I'd have my bath and I'd do my own rituals to settle myself. But I had these boundaries in time and these rituals yes, that yes. I did with Rebecca. I think it's very, very hard with devices now. Yes, you know, the yes, kids exactly. have got devices. We want to yes, occupy exactly. them while we get things done. But one of the things that made a very big difference, and I remember a story from one of the executives in Virgin, and she said, as we were talking about how we do self-care and the attention we pay to our children when we go home, I, I asked the question, what's the cost to yes. you when you go to work in your leadership? when you know you haven't given your children the attention they needed. Because she said, I go home every night and they say, give me five minutes till I put the dinner on. Give me 10 minutes until I take care of this. And it's always a delayed response to the child. Mm -hmm. And she said, I got it. She said, because I come to work every day as a leader and I feel shameful. Now, this is when we, we we now know that our personal and our professional lives aren't separate. 
Mm. So if you carry into work shame, mm. you carry into work regret, mm. that actually impacts everything about mm. how you lead and where you stand and can you stand tall. Mm. But I also want to touch on something that we spoke about because I don't want to leave, leave this. It's very important, Janine, I think, about betrayal. Mm-hmm. We spoke about it in terms of divorce or men mm-hmm. and you didn't feel a victim. Now, whilst in moments I felt a victim, the big thing I had to deal with in broken mm-hmm. relationships is betrayal. Mm-hmm. When someone says one thing and they do another or yes. they've blatantly told you a lie... Yes. Or they blatantly and intentionally undermined you or deceived you. Yes. I think this is one of the biggest topics that's not addressed with women. Okay. So we talk about the men that have betrayed us. We talk about the men that have left us. But I've had many, many experiences where women have betrayed me and mm-hmm. even my own sisters. Mm-hmm. And I felt deceived, betrayed, not taken care of, and even to the extent of not safe. Yes. And I think when we talk about women rising and we talk about sisterhood, we shouldn't just talk about it if we're not really looking to see what the sisterhood means and how can we look into each other's eyes and say, I've got your back. Yes. I'm I'm with you. And Mm -hmm. I broke my back four years ago. I literally fell down a flight of stairs and broke my back. My daughter was with me at the time and It was an amazing experience. Again, all of these crises can be powerful lessons. It took me three months with a plastic body brace on wearing that brace every day that I wasn't allowed to be upright without it. So it took me three months to heal the structural part of my body. It took me 18 months to heal the trauma that I went through. Yes. And so we have to, I think, more and more as we talk about conscious leadership, we have to be conscious of the impact of these events in our lives and what we need to do to heal, to create and restore the broken relationships that we've had in our lives. And so that also brings me to the relationship I have with my daughter because we've done a lot of work on our relationship. Really, because it feels when you talk about you and your daughter, and I wanted to go to this a bit more specific because it is special. Um, It feels so much on the flow, but I do, I think what you say about relationship and betrayal, yes. Absolutely. And, I, you know, my, my mind movie was just showing me all the things that were happening in my past. And they were just very soft and minor parts. And I don't know, and maybe you can explain this to me. I don't know if this is a male thing or if this is a Janine thing. That is my learning. Um, because it happened very often with men. And I thought, well, maybe they don't have the sensitivity, um, even if they mean well. And it, it happened... Um, also with my, my ex-husband, and we have talked about it. Now, he yields in very quickly, but I'm very honest and straightforward and emotional. I express my emotions right away and um, say things like, he's in California, so I leave a WhatsApp message. You must be kidding. But I don't come, you know, forceful and aggressive. I just feel I'm feeling really hurt what just happened, or mm-hmm. I'm feeling confused, or I just express myself very honestly. So we, we are very, we just evolve together beautifully in our work because we are very honest with each other. There is no playing, no ego, no pretending. It's just pure, raw honesty. And that makes it very gentle when we work, because we're humans, we work moves and stuff. Mm-hmm. But what came with him and also with um, a colleague, and I've observed that, and when you say we have, it's, it's so important that we hold each other's back as sisters. Mm-hmm. Um, it came that I was, 
um, building and flourishing and harvesting. And I have addressed with flowers for today for this interview, flourishing. <laughs> so I, I really need in, to make, I'm very generous. I love to be generous. And sometimes in the journey, I had to learn to set boundaries and take care. Now, normally I hate to say, okay, what's in for you? What's in for me? What's, you know, win-win situations. I, but I, I, I had no other coping mechanism after I was too generous and I was saying, this is not working for you, Janine, painfully listening. So then was the situation um, with one of my colleagues that happened also with my ex-husband and I think with somebody else. I would prepare everything. I would take the courage in a working project. I would do the, the rough work, you know, opening the doors, making them available. And that is, as we both know, if you do it in an old school system or in a traditional system in a business environment, it is work. You stand your ground, you are brave, you don't get an Oscar for that. You, you know, you get harsh words, you try to be gentle. And, but it's, it's, a, I don't, it's not my favorite thing, but I feel this is what I need to do. There is a needing, as you said it also when we had the pre-talk, um, to say things. So you say things and they might be rocky. Now, when it comes to harvesting or step further, sometimes it happened that in the project, it was evolving with somebody else or um, the executive was really um, angry because something happened. And then my partners who were in the boat were with me, but they didn't speak up. I, I was normally the one who spoke the truth. I don't want to say that they were too fearful. I don't want to judge it. But the point was I spoke up when it was scary to speak up. Mm. Um, they didn't hold my back. They didn't come back and said, look, this was a bit of understanding with, um, with what happened. We were in that project. Janine was saying that. They were just going. And after a while, it was like it never happened. It was like I was just not coming back to business. And I got so angry in those parts. I said, you have, you know, you have to do, take ownership. I would do the same for you. If I would see that goes not well, that doesn't go in balance, there, I would stand up and say, look, I have to explain how it really looks like so they give a different perspective. But mm -hmm. I would always take ownership for the work we do and not just go back and report to you how awesome it was when you're not in the picture anymore. Mm -hmm. So I, that was a very, and there I felt victimized or I felt that betrayal. And when I would talk to them, now I had kind of conscious partners, male partners, they would feel, wow, yes, yes, you're right. But it, was, it would cost a lot of communication mm. to make them understand why I'm saying this. And it would talk a lot of confusion on my part. Why are you not thinking of that? Why are you not thinking in the whole picture? Why are you not taking me in there? Why do I have to say this and speak for my up again? Why I spoke up for both of us at mm. the meeting table. But mm. I don't know if this is a Janine thing. Or if you experience this also with, with other men, women, if you see this more often, if you have a feeling that men forget about it and maybe not willingly. I think it, um, it's interesting you add the words, word willingly. There's a fabulous book by Margaret Heffernan called Willful Blindness. Do you know the book? <laughs> I love the title already. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think it's, um, she wrote brilliantly about what we do, whether we're, when we're under pressure, under stress, re-traumatised re in an instance, lose our way, whatever reason, we're not our best of ourselves. Mm -hmm. But it's mostly under pressure or when people make decisions willfully because they're blind to what they can't see and they're willfully blind. It's like when okay. we hear, for example, someone 
you know, a couple might be talking, a man and a woman or a woman and a woman in a personal relationship or a man and a man. And the one partner will say, you're not listening to me. And the other partner will say, typically, I heard every word you said. There is a difference between hearing and listening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So hearing, we hear a dog bark. Mm -hmm. But listening is when we listen to music and we have the experience of the music moving through us. They're two, mm -hmm. different, two different qualities of sound. Mm -hmm. And I think what we've become accustomed to in the shorthand, fast-moving, technological, digital yes. world yes. is we're shorthanding our listening. Yes. So I don't think... I think that men in particular are, listen, are listening for result. Mm -hmm. They're not listening for relationships. And the process, and, yes. So if we're not listening for the quality of relationship, we're only listening for an outcome or result. And I hear a lot of women compromise and a lot of women in the business table or in the boardrooms and the work that I do, a lot of women don't understand, I think, don't understand or feel misunderstood as you're saying, because you said, why can't you? And they can't. In some instances, they literally can't. Mm -hmm. So we're asking them, I think what the invitation is to build a capacity and how I use it or how I typically use it is talking about integrity. Mm -hmm. So I would say that in a project or in a conversation, I would ask the question, what is missing mm -hmm. in this to bring integrity to it? Not, it's, it's a, and I don't mean to be harsh to you, but it's a little harsh to say, why can't you see it? Because of course they can't see it. But what is missing if we want to have a holistic, conscious um, conversation, project, whatever that is, as long as that's a shared understanding that it's got to have integrity, it's got to have um, qualities of relationships and it's got to have clear outcomes, mm. then the convert, I think we have to set the stage more intentionally. Yes, for, exactly. For what the meeting is, what the conversation is, what the relationship is, and we often don't. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where we get into trouble is, you know, why didn't you tell me you love me? Well, I told you yesterday, but that's a logical response to an emotional need. Yes. So it gets very complicated in the personal arena and also in the business arena because we are talking about leadership. Yes. And I think that that is still the orient much more so in business. Yes. Now, if a man's in business and he's a leader and he's thinking from outcome, objective and logic for 12 hours a day, where's his muscle that he gets to build in the feminine qualities in the relational department, in the, le in the right brain where it's creative and relational and innovation. And he doesn't get that until he gets home and puts his case down. And mm -hmm. same for women now. Women have to operate in that environment more than ever before. So the women then take on the masculine, the rational, the logic, the left brain. And then to get home and be, then they've got to do the washing and the dishes and the clean the house and look after the elderly parents and so on and so forth. So our demand on us is so strong. Mm. We're not getting that, as you called it when we began, that silent pause to breathe and sit with the kids. I did a workshop recently and a woman I ran into after she completed the workshop had renovated her house. And she said, Karen, one of the biggest impacts of the workshop we did was that I actually had created a space, a physical space, which is very cosy and it's got cushions in it. And every morning I sit in that space, there's no digital, no device zone. And I sit with my children, we cuddle, 
we connect and we talk about the day. She said it only takes 15 minutes. Yes. She said, even if I don't meditate, that calibration of that love in my heart to take me into my day and them is extraordinary. Thank you. So if we're looking at flourishing, which is what I talk about, and also leading with these qualities of grace and resilience, which I do a leadership retreat for women, um, I think we have to look at the dynamic flow between the two because it's mm. not an either or. It's a dynamic flow between the masculine and the feminine. And honestly, it's happening moment. My experience is it's happening moment by moment. Yes. One minute I can be feisty and, and pull my energy up so strong. Okay. Next minute, I'm, if I'm listening to what the environment needs, I go, breathe back. I love it so much what you say to set the stage uh, more consciously. And I think that it's for everything in your life. Um, I needed to really teach my partner, look, we are not, from now on, we are moving to a lake because we want to have more quiet time. I said, can we first set the stage? I said it literally that we have, we both want to go dancing and salsa and West Coast swing and socializing that we first um, put this in our schedule and then the work. And um, when I was in the business world, now I'm not, uh, intellectuality drains me very quickly and I get really massive headaches. So to, again, to survive, I would come up with all kinds of setting the stage so that I could make it through. And um, I'm a, I don't have kids, unfortunately, but I do dance. I do have yoga, Pilates, dance, nature. I have a whole potpourri at the moment. So, um, and I also, what you said, I think that is so important for women who tend to be workaholics or very passionate and don't stop the wet ways. It's hard for them. And I, I'm looking into the camera to say that please the ego if the ego is in the pattern or if you're in this pattern of red race it is not easy to stop it it takes a lot of discipline and commitment and i think you would agree karen and um i do have training almost every day but there is 99 percent i have to drag myself to the dance class or to any class 99 percent i have hundred thousand excuses it's not time for it and i go all the time and when i come back it's empty. It's this kind of emptiness that I was talking about or that Buddhism is striving for. But in that emptiness, in this, either it's cuddling with dogs or you have a dog or with your kids or you have dance or you have music, but to have to, to plan this in your calendar and have this as, as important as a meeting is crucial. And when I was um, doing, working with a large company and working on personal development and leadership, we were only taught working on balance. That was not the program. But I could see that there was absolutely no balance for men and for women in their lives. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes I would invite their partners and then I would, that was a joke in the beginning, but I saw this is not a joke. I have to really wor work on, or I, I love working on this because I did it because I felt I had to. But I would ask that a couple, when was actually the last time that you had some romance or, and then <laughs> that they didn't put up their calendar and look at it. It was like one of the, um, my coaches, his, her husband was there and he said, honey, it was November. Didn't we play um, tennis in July? And they were not kidding. I mean, that was really it. And they had kids and everything. Yeah. Or when another couple, they went out for um, a glass of wine and the kids were at home. And then the daughter was not used to that they have, you know, just time off. Then the, um, she would ask her father, what are you going to do? And he said, we are going to have a conversation. We're going to have a glass of wine. And she said, what are you going to talk about? <laughs> he said, this is how far I got. You know, my daughter asking, what are you going to talk about? There's a... And um, 
you said this about, you know, holding our backs as sisters and um, betrayal and victimhood and balance and balance. And that balance is so important that you first take, off, take care of yourself first mm. and then look for the balance and also spend time with, with women. It is very, very nurturing. Um, and one of the yes. things you need to remember is um, I think in, it's again, it's, it's part of what I teach and what I know to be true. It's not just because it's valuable information. I know it in my body. It's my wisdom that I've seen. Balance is a dynamic state. Yes. People relate to balance like I need work-life work balance. Yes. That's the comment I hear a lot. And like it's a time management process, and it's not. It's got nothing to do with time. Balance has got nothing to do with time. Your liver doesn't say, give me a chance to recover. It's constantly rebalancing, reworking all of our internal systems. Our body is a miracle because it's balancing homeostasis. It's balancing all the time. And I will say to women when they tell me they haven't got time, I know what it is to build a business. While I was building my business, while I was taking care of my child as an only, as a only child and, and a single mother, I was going to India and Bangladesh and working for the subjugation and marginalization of women and going and sitting, doing those huge trips, going and visiting farmers to get our oils. Mm -hmm. So I had a huge load that I was carrying. And I say, it's, I've discovered it's not time, it's quality. And I would say to my daughter when I traveled, Sweetheart, give me your bunny and I will soak up mummy's smells into your bunny. And you know smell is connected to memory. You smell mummy. And she, yes. could, she smells me and she goes, yes. And when you smell an article of clothing, you're taken back to that person you love. Yes. They don't have to be there. Yes. And then I would take one of her little vests that had, yes. she'd been wearing and it hadn't been washed and I would carry that. We didn't have mobile phones then. I couldn't ring her on FaceTime. Mm -hmm. So I would smell her vest. She would smell her bunny connection. So mm. tiny little things that we restore balance. And I say to women, your body knows how to balance. You know how to balance. Here's the question. But will you? I love that so much, this moment by moment. I remember, it, I don't know if it's still the case, but I saw I've, a lot of girlfriends who are very passionate, dedicated, wonderful women. And... Um, they always would come and be so exhausted, never have time. I mean, if we want to come together in August, we would make a date for, you know, November. It's like this hilarious, crazy, and absolutely beyond limit. Um, but that is still a little bit the case. You know, we're all hungry for that balance and working less and, and being more in the flow and working on that. Um, I love the way how you say, do it moment by moment. I remember, it's hilarious. I remember that at one point, I was doing all the yoga and om and, and then working, and I thought, fuck, I need playtime. I'm so done. I need playtime. So I just took my calendar, and I would do salsa, and I would put it all. I would just um, schedule it all differently, put all the yoga out. I was done with all the oms. I needed to have playtime. You know, it's like the kid in me that is so strong. I need to nurture that kid. So after I took classes of playtime, I was actually done. I, my cup was filled. I didn't need playtime anymore. So I needed to put my calendar again and cross it all out where I put salsa class in and West Coast Wing. 
And I understood after a while because I was so in control how I could schedule my balance that I was always trying to balance, go back to my um, schedule again. And my partner sometimes says, you know, when you have an idea, I wait a few weeks until I really know it's happening because you're changing that so quickly. And he, is, he hates it like this. But I learned that if we don't make it so big, sometimes my girlfriend would say, I have to go to India now. I have to go to Sri Lanka. I have to do an Ayurveda retreat. I have to do this. So they book all those fancy, important uh, months drop retreats out. And then they come back after two days. It's the same. It's absolutely yeah. not the same. And then um, you spend all the money. You work again 15 hours a day. You need all the massage, all the retreats, <laughs> all that to compensate to come back to zero. I mean, all the money that comes in, you spend it here. <laughs> you just hear, you just open door. It's just, there is no present time of quality, what you just said. Mm. And I want to pick it up because I experience all the same. I'm still learning it. I'm still practicing it. Of course. Um, this moment by moment decision, it makes things so much more easy and not so complex. Mm. Businesses love complex. I always love simple, the beauty of simplicity. And in this moment, what do I need right now? What, what do I need? And trusting that there is this different intelligence flow that is when we cooperate and collaborate with that, that is the master, that is the goddess, the god, however, just the intuition, however we want to call that. Without and that is the feminine. Yes. We are yes. much yes. more in touch with our systems because our bodies yes. move to cycles of the moon. Our bodies move. You know, a, um, some years ago, and you know me through FemQ, Janine, when we yes. created FemQ and we wanted to talk about feminine intelligence in both men and women, a not-for-profit that um, my colleagues and I created, yes. the, um, the notion that I started investigating womb intelligence. Yes. And I spoke to Rupert Sheldrake, who's a scientist, and I said, you talk about intelligence in every cell of the body, in every organ of the body. There must be womb intelligence. And he looked at me curiously and he said, I think you're onto something. Now, this isn't new, but I was speaking it to a man in a way that perhaps hadn't been said before. And I said, can you point me to the research? And he said, you have to do the research because you're a woman. And I, th forget, I think we forget that born with one or born without one, have children, ha don't have children. There is something about the, now I'm being very gendered, structure, the structural composition of a woman's body that is life-giving, life-affirming, and we have to listen to that and sit in our meetings when we start a meeting when we feel exhausted and say if we're running the meeting all the women that are leaders on the call the, the, on, the, um, on the yes on our call today just say we need to pause for a moment can we have a moment can we just have a moment to just arrive even if you don't meditate or you don't close your eyes or even if you can be that subtle to say can we just arrive with our backsides on the seat, give a moment for a breath, for our heads to catch up and our hearts to catch up. Can we just have that moment? Great. Take a deep breath. Everyone will mirror you in the room because you've now got control of the attention. You center yourself. Great. Now shall we begin? That's the feminine. Yes. Don't let them invade the space and your body and your intuition. We've got, to, that's a boundary setting. I, yes, I so understand. I, I learned it very early, but being more conscious about it, I was more threatened um, 
if I'm, I came actually as a more feminine oriented woman, young girl into this life. And so what happened, my coping mechanism, and so what the world is run by, I became very masculine. Um, and running the masculine energy so intensely or being in an environment that was run by masculine energy very intensely, my body was hurting really badly. And I'd got lots of, you know, cycle problems also. And, you know, you talked about it also in one of your video clips. It's never talked about. But of course, that re represents the feminine also. And um, my whole journey, and we are talking about patients, that was 20 years, 20 years of learning how can I bring myself into a more balance? How can I bring the feminine forward while I'm sustaining myself, paying my bills, um, being a woman in a male-dominated system and keeping up my, my, my joyful spirit? Um, and my body was related to stress or to mm -hmm. relaxation or to playtime. Um, and at some part I thought, well, maybe I'm not very intelligent because all that information, it's just, it's just so much, it, just all the talking, I just get, you know, nuts in that. Um, but I, I learned over time that this is the best value that I can bring to the table because I immediately feel everything and I get very creative in setting the motion and the, the stage as you say that. But I do know that it was a rocky journey to stand up for that and, um, I always needed sometimes, I don't know how you have that, but you feel that feels as if you have it more natural. You have to get the people where you are. And I found it extremely exhausting to do so much talking, to explain so much on a logical level. Mm -hmm. And I could finally open my door because I could just feel it. For me, it was all obvious. It was all clear. And, um, but I would never stand up in pride with it or in peace with it without being either aggressive because I felt exhausted and tired mm. or I felt attacked or I had to defend myself even if there was no attack. Mm. I felt I need to defend myself. And it was, it's developing in the process of becoming an art to learn to integrate the feminine and with the wisdom and the leadership, um, but also with the playfulness. And there was one and then I stopped my long talking. There was one interesting story that was one of my painful learnings in the past with board of directors. And usually I, it's very easy for them, for me to work with them because they're open to fun and open to joy, um, much more than the middle management is. They're very easy with, they just love that. You can be much more um, playful there um, compared to the middle management. And that was board of directors that didn't went well because I was so, they were saying something and then, I felt they didn't walk their talk. And I've, I thought, I'm listening to this. I'm seeing this a thousand times. I'm so done of seeing people who say something just because it's the net, next thing on the market and just market it and have no clue what they're talking about and have absolutely not ownership, no ownership. So I got very aggressive. And as a woman, I really learned in aggression, you just push everybody away. Mm. The peers um, and also men, they were very pushed away by that. Mm. Even if there was a truth around it, that was not the way. And I really learned it in that way to say, you know, it's not stay soft. You can be determined and clear. But if you get into this male aggressiveness, it doesn't, that's at least how I learned it. I don't know how, how your experience is. And this, the male masculine female leaders when they become pushy and over-domineering and over-present and very harsh, 
it just doesn't attract. It's like what Hillary Clinton does. Maybe Trump wouldn't have won if Hillary Clinton wouldn't have started to compete and fight so hard. But this is politics and I don't want to go there. And, but I'm just asking it with a question. Yeah. So I think a couple of things, Janine, I think the aggression that you're speaking about sits inside every woman I know because it's ancestral. It's from time immemorial of where we've been beaten into submission. We've been shut up, put down, humiliated, dismissed, marginalized, subjugated, all of it. Yes. So I think the rage is valid, the rage that we feel. And I think at the same time, rage that supports a person to stand up and find their place because of the rage versus in an instant one can be triggered and gets aggressive as you just said and I think the aggression is personally now my experience is when I get aggressive I know I'm being triggered by something and if I don't own the trigger versus suppress the aggression because that's that's almost what i heard you've learned not Mm. to be aggressive and that's like for me that's like a repression of something and i won't do that so what i'm practicing and getting better and better and better at it is noticing what i'm triggered by and i was with a group of men actually two weeks ago and i said to them in a very honest conversation why is it when i speak about the feminine principle you all get triggered because I'm very good at reading energy systems and that's what I work with and I could feel it in them. And I said, firstly, am I accurate? And they all said, yes, Mm -hmm. thank goodness. (laughs) And then I said, is it because I'm a woman speaking about the feminine and it's a double whammy? So I'm gendered woman and I'm speaking about the feminine. So it sounds like I'm better than you or I'm right or something. Mm -hmm. Let me, so check. They all gave me some feedback. And I said, then I said, I watched myself getting feisty Mm because there was a part of me that wanted to scream saying, you are not listening to us, to me. You are not pulling the chair out for us women to sit at the table. Where is the pulling the chair out? Mm -hmm. Metaphorically. Mm -hmm. And I said, just let me pause. I can own my hysteria. Mm -hmm. And what I'm noticing of how upset I am right now, mm-hmm. because it's ancient in me. It was mm-hmm. from when I was a little girl, when I was beaten and told to shut up. It was the priest that grabbed me last week when he gave me a lift in his car and held my hand and said, I love you when I'd met him two minutes ago. That would never have happened to any of you men. So I can own why I'm triggered, mm-hmm. but can you? Wow. Wow, how did they react? Hmm, they went. I said, I want to end the conversation. Let's close the circle and I leave that with you. What is it you can identify? Why are you so triggered by this conversation of feminine, gender and inclusivity? What's happening? And until you dissolve that trigger and I dissolve my hysteria of not feeling safe, not feeling heard, we're not going to transform anything. Yeah. So it was just a very, and I can feel your energy right now, it was just mm. a very honest conversation. I mean, you just got me and um, that was just, could almost cry. There was just this deep moment, and not out of emotional sadness, but this deep moment of, wow, yes, honesty again. And um, 
and speaking tr our truth, truth. Yeah. speaking the truth. Mm. Why can't you hear me? What, what is it that's in your system? What is it that's in mind that comes up against like mm. this, this conflict of the feminine and the masculine versus that integration? I had a talk show and that was is also on my YouTube channel and that I didn't wasn't prepared for that's going to be so emotional positively in a way very connecting and I invited three men talking oh, yes, about Robert, yes of course, Robert, yeah. uh, Robert and Robert and Ken and um, uh, you know being a man how does what does it mean to be a man today and a man on, on 40 plus women and on love and intimacy and the, the point was they were so honest about themselves. Mm. And then I said, okay, what, what, how would you like to reach out, Bridge? Because there's a beautiful childhood story that you bridged by your father-inspired um, rivers. So I want to bring this picture into, um, into this. Um, how would you like to bridge to, to women or what would you like to say to women, 40 plus women? And Robert said, can you let go of your anger? Can you at least be aware of the anger? There's so much anger towards us. And that also touched me. It was not coming you or guilt or, you know, blame. There was no blame in there. There was just this really honestly sharing. And that's what you just did. There was no blame in there. There was sharing. When I had my experience with the board of directors, I had blame. Uh, absolutely. It was a complete blameful um, thing I did. And, um, Thank God I learned from that, but it took, it took a long time. It took a year until I really had digested because it had consequences until I had digested and owned my, my learning in this. Um, and I, I really do think, and then when Robert said this, I thought, whoa, yes, there is definitely anger. And my partner went to, I mean, he is impulsive. I am impulsive. So we do have our anger waves when we are under stress, it comes up but we immediately come back together and resolve it in a more peaceful way. And I, when you talked about victim and um, we could have this for a week, I think this talk, but I know we have to come to a closure and saying a victim again, I felt, yes, I did feel anger, a lot of anger after my divorce. I felt, well, now you did all the spiritual um, growing. You didn't even ask for it. Maybe your soul has decided, I don't know, because I'm not conscious about this. So you go through this way, you master this way, you are, you are strong because you don't want to be pity or victim or, or you know, not joyful and bitter. And then men come up to you and say, men are afraid of strong and beautiful women. I felt like a mess inside, so I didn't feel anything of that. So now I try to make myself smaller to be wanted again so that men are not afraid of me. And then I'm, I'm, I'm in the male world and in the male world, I'm trying to talk about heart and I'm really cool for that about intuition and heart messaging. And yes, there was building a lot of anger and I still have to be aware of that. I still have, I still have that as a first impulse that there is this angry wipe coming and I have to hold, come, you know, soften that and see the whole picture and what we, for me, what really made peace for me is we are evolving. Somebody who knows Akatole, Akatole says, we are in a stage of awakening humanity and that might be. And I think we are just in a stage of evolving as women. We were just puzzle piece mm -hmm. like many other women. And then I, when I saw the bigger picture and I'm just one of the puzzle pieces as many women have that. And as you said, many women share this pain. Mm -hmm. And then our mothers have shared another pain on fathers. 
So we are just in that stage of evolving. And it wasn't little Janine's soul that just chose that. It just was a whole collective thing in which we all are evolving and progressing and going on that journey. And that gave peace to the victimhood mm. for me. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. I, you know, I had a whole thing with your daughter because I saw pictures on Facebook, of course, and you're very close and you have talked about your um, daughter. If that is okay with you and because we are to an end and I know you have a full schedule, um, I would love to have a, an additional talk show next year and that you have a talk show, the three of us, your daughter, oh, you and me. I would love that. Would that be okay with you? I would love that. Yeah. I think um, the, the conscious education you brought to the table and the learnings and how she evolved out of that. Mm. She as a new woman, she as a millennial, she was when I think, what an easy ride she has now. Well, she has her experiences. She mm. will share that. I think that is beautiful for motherhood and daughters and beautiful for those mothers who have so young daughters how they can plant seeds to have such a beautiful relationship that you guys have. And maybe it also has its rocket roads and you'll master that together. So it would be awesome for us to hear that. I would love that, Janine. I would love that. And I think the, the most important thing is that I would like to close out our conversation with is this notion that is so in my being is this dynamic flow and Janine, you know I run a women's leadership course called this, but I think just the words, and I'm writing my book at the moment, on leading with grace and resilience. Nice. nice. And I think the, um, the thing that I see for all women in leadership is, as we've said, it's a dynamic flow moment by moment. And so let's not stop beating up, beating up on ourselves and just give ourselves a bit of a yes, hug. Yes, absolutely. Self-compassion. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. I think that is so important. And... Um, I said it once to two young men and young men are so open for that. I, they were so easygoing about the whole spirit of development and how they integrated into their lives and their work. And I looked and I said, you know, we, I am part of the pioneering. I was the pioneer and it didn't go as easy. How my spiritual awakening went was to a really harsh bike accident. I was in the middle of a big career and that just threw me out of, it was just a very rocky road to become the way I am. And he said to me, he hugged me and said, thank you so much for the great pioneering work you, um, you have done and all the women with you. So um, that came so honest and I, I still carry that and I really felt that. So that was really great. Thank you so much, dear audience. That was a wonderful, beautiful, emotional talk wherever you are. Have a soulful rest of your day. Thank you, Karen Lee Downs in London. Thank you for listening and hopefully see you and hear you soon again. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you.